0: Now, from the Milken Institute, Responding to COVID-19, Conversations with Mike Milken.
1: We have identified a lead candidate for COVID-19 vaccine. We are going to make sure that this vaccine is affordable and available. We're doing it on a non-for-profit basis. This is a,
0: a bit of a moonshot for us. That's Alex Gorsky. He's a West Point graduate and former Army Ranger who is now marshalling a global force of 130,000 employees as chairman and CEO of Johnson & Johnson. He spoke recently with Milken Institute chairman, Mike Milken. Alex, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks to you and your entire team to really help educate and keep not only your audience, but frankly, the world informed and educated about this fast-moving pandemic. It's a really important public service.
0: Well, Alex, I want to thank you for your leadership. On March 30th, j and and BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, announced a $1 billion partnership to advance the Janssen vaccine, candidate for approval. Tell us about that decision and how is it going to unfold?
1: what we announced that day actually reflected likely more than a decade and certainly several months of intense 24-7 work that we've been doing, not only in the area of infectious disease and vaccines, but specifically targeting to see how we could help in the current pandemic against the coronavirus. And what we announced that day was that we have identified a lead candidate for COVID-19 vaccine. We entered into a landmark billion-dollar partnership uh, with the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Association, BARDA, that's really going to allow us to accelerate the testing needed to make sure that we're gonna, this candidate uh, can be effective, that it can be safe, and uh, we expect to start human trials in September. And then the third thing we announced that was very important is that when this vaccine is tested and validated, that uh, we're gonna need to manufacture in huge quantities and that we are scaling up to produce literally hundreds of millions of doses in the early part of 2021 and up to a billion by the end of next year. And that will be done here in the United States, but we're, we're going to have a number of manufacturing facilities throughout the world uh, to help ensure that people, uh, again, around the globe can get access, assuming all of our testing goes as planned. And lastly, we announced that we are going to make sure that this vaccine is affordable and available, that we're doing it on a non-for-profit basis. This is a, a bit of a moonshot for us. And we realized that uh, we still have got a tremendous amount of work to do, but we couldn't be more excited about the prospect.
0: I remember on April 15th, 1955, getting my polio shot. That was donated to humanity by Salk. And I just can't thank you enough, not just on the part of the Milken Institute and our centers, but the citizens of the world for J&J's decision to do this on a nonprofit basis and make it accessible to the entire world's population. But then this is not the first time you've done that. I remember, I think it was back in October of 2019, You announced donating a half a million doses of the Ebola vaccine as that outbreak raged in the Congo. What has happened with that and what did you learn from that experience that would give us more hope here?
1: Well, Michael, that's an important question because as as you know from your own experience in working in the biopharmaceutical area, that it is indeed a long journey where you can have many tests and that come out the way that uh, you had anticipated, but oftentimes where there can be failures on one hand, but that actually give you perhaps a different path and how you can ultimately be successful. And that's certainly been the case with us on our platform. The technology that we're talking about here, we actually acquired more than 10 years ago. And some of our initial intentions and objectives, frankly, didn't work out the way that we wanted, but we continued very diligently in thinking, how might we be able to apply these in a number of different areas? And as you mentioned, we began testing it with Ebola. Uh, we were able to rapidly accelerate a program. The results have been encouraging. And frankly, it's through those learnings that it's given us great confidence that for the coronavirus vaccine, that the carrier that we're using, the same used for Ebola, that uh, we can hopefully get the same results.
0: Alex, you spoke about the ability to ramp up manufacturing to hundreds of millions and billions. How do you do that?
1: To produce the number of doses, we're taking the technology from some laboratories that we have in Europe. We're opening a manufacturing facility in the United States. And uh, as part of that earlier technology that we acquired, that included some manufacturing capabilities that... Rather than, in, uh, as is the case with many vaccines, they may have to be produced in chicken eggs that would have to float on the top of a vat and yield perhaps only one or two doses per egg. That can be a very long, complex, arduous process. Uh, we're using something called the percy 6 which it operates in a much more protein-intense environment such that literally out of a beaker of about 1,000 liters, we can develop hundreds of millions of vaccines. And we're doing much of this at risk. Uh, When I say risk, not knowing how the vaccine is going to work. We've been partnering closely with the FDA, with European authorities, uh, with BARDA, with others uh, to ensure that we're doing everything to maximize safety through this process, but also doing everything we can to shorten the timeline so that if in early 2021, this pandemic is still raging, that the FDA and other regulatory authorities would be in a position hopefully to consider whether it would be appropriate to approve this for distribution on an emergency basis.
0: It's amazing how the technology has changed. What about distribution? How do you get it to the people?
1: Well, this is where partnerships are going to be so important and and why throughout this process we have tried hard to partner with a number of different organizations in the United States and Europe that work in the vaccine area as well as with the broader healthcare system to make sure that these could be distributed to the areas where they could make the biggest difference so with them we'll be thinking it through you know for example one option could be going to healthcare workers first, the people on the front lines, the heroes in the hospitals right now who are frankly being overwhelmed with patients. Can we come up with ways to ensure that whether it's a first responder, it's a doctor, or it's a nurse, or others, or are there people in particular areas? where we know a, quote, hotspot has been identified, that we can get these distributed, again, on a very efficient and data-based manner to ensure they're being used where they're needed most.
0: Alex, let's talk a little bit about closer to home. You have more than 130,000 employees worldwide. How have you helped keep them safe? What operational changes have you made?
1: Well, Michael, as you can imagine, uh, over the past several months, we've been looking at this issue very, very closely. And we have a significant presence in China. We have over 10,000 direct employees, close to 100,000 indirect employees and associates that support our different organizations in that country. So when we saw the first signs of the virus we worked closely with our colleagues in china to see how they were doing in terms of ensuring that we were still getting products to patients to consumers the steps that they were taking to protect employees how they were staying connected with the communities where they work and that gave us a tremendous amount of insight and i believe in many ways helped us to stay ahead of the curve somewhat as we saw the outbreak spread in the united states At Johnson & Johnson, we've always had an aspiration of not only being the world's largest and best healthcare company, but also to be the world's healthiest healthcare company. And as such, we have a significant group of physicians and nurses and other healthcare providers who work inside Johnson & Johnson in many of our facilities uh, that not only take care of our employees and their families, but also put a huge focus on wellness and prevention. And by getting them activated, They quickly looked at standards that were being set by organizations like the CDC, like the WHO, and we began applying them internally throughout all of our facilities. We quickly went to a work-at-home policy. We had that employed on a global basis. We implemented policies where people knew that if they had to take time off to be with their families, that they could and that they could still continue to be paid and that they could have their benefits you know, one thing that I'm particularly proud of, Michael, we've also recently approved a policy, knowing the large number of physicians and healthcare providers that we employ in our different organizations, the ability to take up to 14 weeks of paid leave to work in hospitals as part of this pandemic. And just this morning, I received a very moving letter from one of our physicians who's working in the Bronx and the very human stories he told of being with those patients who, as you know right now, are without family members. The saying that they have in that ICU and CCU is no patient shall die alone. I think it just exemplifies how employees can make a difference, not only for Johnson & Johnson, but in so many other ways at this really important time for us around the world.
0: And hearing you speak about that, Alex, you know, I can't help but ask you, your experience as a West Point graduate and in the Army, are there any things you learned that you've been able to apply here at J&J?
1: Frankly, Michael, I would not be the leader I am today were it not from my experience at West Point and as a lieutenant and captain in the Army. We're facing such unprecedented times and things are moving so quickly, it's gotta be all hands on deck, everyone's sleeves rolled up, dealing with the issues that are in front of you in an environment where there can be a lot of ambiguity, and when you're coordinating across multiple functions, regions, disciplines at one time. At the same time, you've always gotta be thinking about how are we going to use this to ensure that we're better prepared for that next situation that will undoubtedly come down the road, and uh, certainly something that I brought from the military. You know, I've been incredibly fortunate to really primarily work for two organizations in my life, the United States Army, our government, and Johnson & Johnson, and, you know, one was to defend our country and democracy and freedom, and the other case, it's about how do we help patients and consumers live longer, healthier, and happier lives and i think when people are truly inspired by that sense of mission of helping others of making a difference of doing something that frankly they probably couldn't imagine doing on their own of being part of something bigger than themselves that it's incredibly inspiring and frankly allows people to just go above and beyond what they ever thought may have been possible
0: alex we obviously thank you for your service what do you see as the leading healthcare company in the world and one of the largest investors in research and development in the world. How do you think this will not only change the world, but how do you see this changing J&J?
1: All of us are going to come out of this experience changed, likely in fundamental ways. We are always trying to anticipate, particularly in a very integrated global world that we live in, where people can travel across borders seamlessly, where goods are sent around the world before ever arriving at their destination, and making sure that we're putting the same kind of detailed planning, the same kind of resources, the same level of commitment towards public health systems as we have in some of these other infrastructures I think is going to be absolutely critical for us as we go forward.
0: Well Alex I want to thank you for spending time with us today and thank you and J&J for being a role model for the companies in the world as we attempt to deal not only with this crisis but reorder our priorities. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me here today, Michael. Next time, Mike speaks with Dr. David Baltimore, biology professor at and former dean of Caltech. He's also the recipient of the Nobel Prize for his work in the study of viruses. Find that episode and more along with the latest COVID-19 updates at milkeninstitute.org. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.